0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, first, um, first sound check. How's this? Is it... It's okay? Or is it... What is this? Higher, higher. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. How's the. is the, Did we turn the master up? What? How's, how's it now? Louder. Still louder. Okay. How about now? It's okay. Louder. Who says louder? Well, that's one person here. So you might also um, I find using the hearing assist really makes a difference but maybe just turn it up a touch if there's more. Yeah. And I'll I'll try to speak up as well. Hmm. Well, here we are. Second day of practice. We having fun? <laughs> Some people nodding yes. Uh, Some people maybe not. The first few days are not so easy. And one of the good things about it being a a longer retreat like this with some experience under your belt is uh, I, I hope you remember what it was like your last retreat on the first few days. Let me just take a little weather report. Sleepy? Look around. Got a little company. Restless. Anyone? Okay. Uh, aches in the body. All right. A lot of a lot in that group. Okay. And um, busy mind. Okay. You're doing great. Right on schedule. Is that's what the beginning of a retreat is just a settling in process a kind of detoxing from the intensity and momentum and stimulation from the outside world and it takes a little while to move from the fast lane into the slow lane and so these first few days require a lot of patience and um trust and um, understanding that this is the natural process that everyone is going through. I think of the first few days as a kind of detox from stimulation and from the busyness of our lives and like any detox there's a kind of grumbly period where you're getting rid of impurities or things that that don't support you and you're told here for instance okay now be still Sit still pretty much now walk in a very mindful way Don't space out as best you can Okay, and now you eat mindfully pay attention now pay attention and then you're in a new bed a new room from some people with a roommate as well, there's naturally going to be some resistance to all of this change. And then you look at the schedule, even though you've been doing this on two or more retreats, probably uh, many for a number of people, and they're sitting and walking and sitting and walking and sitting and walking. And then there's lunch Yay! Okay. And then there's the Dharma talk. Oh, a little entertainment. Okay, finally. Uh, But there's not much escape when that's all you're being asked to do to just be with yourself, to just be with this moment of experience. But you've all touched something that has said, yes, this is good for me. I want to do this more. I want to go for a month. For many, it's the, your first month's experience. So I just want to remind you, uh, you can't hurry up the process. For years I tried to figure out, how can I start a retreat on the fourth day? You know? There's no getting through that. Just like when you go to a gym, if you haven't been there a while, it's going to be sore at first. And then, oh wow, this is so good. I'm so glad I'm asking my body to do this in the same way. This is what you're doing with your your mind and your heart as well as your body. So tonight I, I wanted to give a talk on a subject that I often find helpful for me to hold my own retreat experience as well as sharing it with Uh, with others who are practicing, a list that helps me understand the process of this practice unfolding. And this is the five spiritual faculties. Now, probably a number of you are uh, well aware of of this list, Uh, but uh, as the Buddha found repetition very, very supportive. So if this is not new to you. Take it as a beginner's mind, but I find it really um, useful to hold both the the unfolding process and all the, also the balancing process of how all these different qualities work together. Mm. And this list, uh, there is five qualities. The first of which Kamala gave a beautiful talk on. Uh, last night of faith I'll just mention the five so you can um, you can see how it unfolds and you don't have to spend your time wondering as I'm going through if you haven't heard it before there's faith and effort or energy and mindfulness concentration and wisdom And this list can be thought of in two different ways, maybe more, but two that are fairly obvious. One is a list of balancing factors. that Faith needs to be balanced with wisdom. Uh, Heart quality needs to be uh, balanced with a kind of clear seeing. If there's too much faith, but not enough wisdom, then it just becomes more blind faith, as, as Kamala was saying yesterday. If there's too much wisdom factor, that is, as far as investigating, but not the juice of the heart, it can be very dry as well. So they work well together. And then there's concentration and, um, uh, and energy and effort. Okay, and they have to be balanced as well. If there's too much energy but not enough of that stilling quality of concentration, then we can get very restless and agitated. If there's more concentration but not really a wakefulness, then it pe- can become uh, more of a, a stilling, a kind of sleepiness and a, a dullness. So they are in balance as well. And mindfulness is in the middle, which is always the balancing factor, whatever list it's in. The seven factors of enlightenment, five spiritual faculties. So that's one way to to think of it. It's a, a question of balance. And another is this gradual unfolding that kind of builds on itself It's not perfectly linear, but one way to understand it is that it keeps on developing the next quality and the next and the next and then goes around in a circle so wisdom keeps on deepening faith and around and around, a really good circle to be on. And I also like to talk about this list in the beginning of a retreat because it, it gives us a chance to explore some key uh, elements of practice that um, are good to keep in mind, uh, particularly those middle three effort or energy and mindfulness and, and concentration that are issues that uh, many many people can get a little stuck on if they have a um, um, misunderstanding of, of those So, last night Kamala gave a lovely talk on faith, and I'll just say a little bit about it, um, and then follow in for the other four. This Pali word, sadha, as Kamala said, to put your heart upon something, to really show up in a heartful way. And the word sadha is also translated as trust, Confidence, conviction. Sometimes the word faith can snag the mind. Whatever your upbringing was, whether it sometimes it can be a very inspiring word, and and for other people less so. But it's it's this feeling of uh, trusting in the process, and you all have to some degree this quality of sata, Otherwise you wouldn't sign up for a month after having done a couple of retreats or many retreats. You've seen for yourself. Okay? And that's where the the bright faith turns to verified faith. Bright faith is you get inspired by hearing a talk or hearing from a friend or um, reading something. Oh, I think I want to try that. But verified faith is where you have seen for yourself, as the Buddha says, Ehi pasiko, come and see for yourself, and you've seen for yourself. There's some value in, in doing this practice. And as the faith grows, it becomes, the verified faith turns into unshakable faith. But just to say a few words that doubts naturally arise in this practice, even if you've been doing it for a long time. And in a, in a few nights we'll, uh, we'll probably hear some, uh, some more about doubt as, uh, the one, of, as one of the difficulties that, uh, that are challenges in practice. But doubts come to everyone. If you have doubts about your practice or you do have that thought, why don't I sign up for this again? Um, you're probably not alone in that as well there was the buddha before he was enlightened the last thing to go as mara tried to knock him off his his seat after after the the enticing images of celestial nymphs or frightening him with arrows and the buddha would turn them metaphorically into flowers then there was doubt the very last thing where Mara said, what gives you the right to think that you can be enlightened? What makes you think you, you can do that? And as the famous gesture of the Buddha touching the ground, and as the earth is my witness for all the work that I've put into this moment, I have a right to be here. But if doubt can come to the Buddha to be just before his enlightenment, Cut yourself a little slack if that's what comes up in your mind from time to time. Jesus on the cross, another example. Why hast thou forsaken me? Why hast thou forsaken me? So if you find that you have doubts, oh, just the next thing to be mindful of. And getting in touch with your own understanding of what you've seen absolutely that you know to be true, there is something to this process of exploring and waking up and the word trust I find a really helpful one because sometimes faith has the image of oh everything will work out the way I want and that's not how life is but through our own verified experience we can trust that our awareness can meet the moment. It always has. We can trust that we'll get through this next challenge. We've done it before. And the more you see, oh, I don't have to figure out how it's going to be. I can trust in awareness. I can be with this too. This is what we're learning to do as we as we sit through whatever is here, through the highs and the lows, through the, the epiphanies and the, and the challenges, ah, I can be with this too. That's what the Buddha did under the, the tree. And here we are sitting, whether it's a beautiful, blissful experience, mm, coming and going very scary, seeing our demons, hmm. knowing how to skillfully be with things, not over our heads, but that we can have the resources to little by little find the courage, faith and trust take courage to meet the moment, but not with the agenda of this is how it's going to be. So we come it with some degree of trust or faith. And the refuges that we've taken at the beginning are great resources. Refuge in the Buddha, that I have this capacity for awakening. Refuge in Sangha, that we're all doing this together. Refuge in the Dharma, which for me is a, a very profound place of deep trust that life is giving me what I need to wake up in every moment. That's that's how I take refuge in the Dharma, that there's a an offering that life is giving us in every moment to, to wake up. And that gives us the inspiration and the courage to put in the effort to do this practice. Effort is a, or energy, virya. We put in the effort and get energy. Effort begets energy. And it's a, a key component of practice. And it's an issue that is really important to understand because it's a balance of effort, it's not... it doesn't look the same in any one moment. And there's different teachers and teachings that emphasize different aspects of, of effort. That teacher that uh, Kamala spoke of, Upandita, and I spent a fair amount of time uh, with Upandita, he was one for, he talked about heroic effort, just... Wholehearted practice, like your hair is on fire, is a is a saying that um, that he embodied. You know, don't don't make uh, don't waste this time. And he would just say, whatever is happening, you just keep on noting it. Your leg is falling off, falling off, falling off, falling off. Okay, mm. and. Doing it in that wholehearted way, there's some value to it, but you have to have a little spaciousness. Otherwise, it can get very serious and intense. So, that heroic effort is one way to do the practice. And then there's another approach, or at different times, instruction that'll be just right for you. Manindraji, another teacher that uh, that Kamala mentioned, who was a a beloved teacher of mine as well, he was Joseph Goldstein's um, first teacher and main teacher for many years, he would say, simple and easy, simple and easy. A bit different from heroic effort, isn't it? Beautiful, simple and easy, empty phenomena rolling on, he would say. Or some other profound teachings. Hmm. This is uh, from uh, Gendun Rinpoche, a, a wonderful Tibetan master. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do. Wanting to, un- to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is here, open, inviting, and comfortable. Nothing to do, nothing to force, and everything happens by itself. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Now they tell you this, by the way, these are very high teachings in uh, in, in Dzogchen practice, but uh, you have to go through the preliminaries of a hundred thousand prostrations, a hundred thousand mantra recitations and visualizations, and you do all of that, and then they say, "Just relax." Right? So there's, it's not one way or the other. There's a time for great, um, great intention and putting in your whole heart into the practice and there's a time to relax. And as we've been saying relaxation is a key because if you try too hard then you just get tighter and tighter and you generally are having some kind of an idea of what's supposed to happen which can just be the measuring stick for how you're doing or not doing. So that's not going to be so supportive. And in fact, the Buddha is a story, a famous story in in the Buddha's time. uh, Some of you might be familiar with of this monk who is practicing really intently and intensively and getting himself really wound up more and more into knots. And he said, you know, this just isn't working. And the the Buddha remembered this fellow was a musician. Weren't you a musician before you uh, became a monk? Yes, sir. What did you play? I played the lute. And he said, well, what happened when the strings on the lute were tightened too much? Oh, you didn't get the right note. And what about when they were too lax, too loose? Oh, again, not the right note. He said, just so. You, have, you need just the right amount of energy, not too much, not too loose to get the, the desired result. And so this is a, a place that, that we all need to look at in our own practice, our balance of effort. Are we too tight? We need to relax. It's a great support for practice. We wouldn't be saying it otherwise. If you're too laid back, well, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. Whatever. It's not going to do it. This does take some effort to get here. But once you're here, any extra effort, And you're just missing connecting in an easy, uh, beautiful way with the moment. Mm. We often think of equate effort with results. Let's see, how clear was I in this sitting? Um, Yeah, I was really clear. I must be doing it the right way now. Oh, my mind is all over the map. Uh, It must not be good practice, oh I'm having so many emotions come up, There's, that's not the way to judge your effort. It's not about results because this process keeps on unfolding and all kinds of things are coming up. If you're willing to open up and take a look at all experience, there's love, there's anger, there's fear, there's joy. There's clarity. There's confusion. It's all part of the human experience. So it's not so much trying to make something happen and arrive at some wonderful destination. It's about being willing to be here with it all. If you have some kind of an idea of being a hindrance-free yogi, uh, let go of it. Because that's how we grow, being willing to open up to the whole show. So rather than equating effort with results, look at it in terms of sincerity that you bring to the moment. That is, being willing to show up in your own way with balance, with connection, with courage, or with compassion and take care, taking care of yourself. What will be the best way for me to meet this moment? Because I want to learn, I want to grow. It's one of the, the uh, encouragements of, of the Buddha. He says, um, one must be eager to learn. That's the real requirement. And once you've tasted of the Dharma, often that's what hooks us. I want to learn more and more and more. And rather than thinking, oh, oh, there's so much to learn, it's exciting. I'm just remembering now as I'm speaking, I, I went into a. Uh, an interview with Joseph, this is many years ago, and I'd been practicing maybe for about, um, oh, five years or so. And it was on my second three-month retreat. And I said, it was like I dropped into Wonderland. I was Alice in Wonderland. And I and I said, I don't know what I've been doing up until now, but this is like a whole new universe. And he said, oh, yeah, I know that feeling. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I sit. I said, really? And then he, I'll never forget this, he leaned forward and he said, and you know what? It's like we're at the tip of the iceberg. And he said it with this sparkle in his eye. It's like we're at the tip of the iceberg. He wasn't saying, oh, there's so much more you've got to learn. Well, He was saying, how exciting. Life is always giving us something new to wake up and grow. So, Don't worry about getting it right or getting it all or arriving at at, at some fantastic experience. Just ask, what do I need right now? That's the question I find so helpful in my own effort issue. What do I need right now to meet this moment in a skillful way? Do I need to maybe take a walk? Or have a cup of tea? Or do I need to go right into the cushion and and be, be courageous and face what's here? What do I need? And then listen instead of try to figure out. I find it helpful to make it like a game. There's no failing this. You're just exploring. Oh, how can I be present? Oh wandered off, oh let's just see how present I can be. And the key moment in practice is the willingness to just come back. For me, that's, that is the key moment in wise effort, right effort. Your mind is gonna wander. If your mind doesn't wander, uh, I'd like to speak to you and just find out what's going on there. Your mind wanders, Rather than feeling discouraged, whenever you realize it's gone, there's your opportunity to relate to that wandering mind with wisdom and kindness and presence. And instead of saying, oh darn, there I am wandering again. Ah, here I am, back in the present moment. Ah, let's be here once again with kindness and ease my instructions for myself are, what's happening now? Letting it be how it is as best I can, unless I need to adjust in some way, and bringing a relaxed, interested, kind awareness to the moment. That's basically it. The effort is the effort to be mindful. You've probably heard a thing or two about mindfulness. It's the key. And as the Buddha says in the Satipatthana Sutta, that all of this is based on, there is one direct way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, grief, despair, pain, and anxiety, and realize the highest happiness possible that is establishing the foundation of mindfulness. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's really, when I think about it, one of the most amazing things that how he could figure out that this one quality of presence, kind awareness, loving presence, is the doorway to overcome all the suffering and to the deepest kind of freedom. So, I want to talk a bit about mindfulness. One thing to know about mindfulness is that it has the capacity to weaken all the unwholesome states and strengthen all the wholesome states so every moment of mindfulness you are weakening greed hatred and delusion and strengthening non-greed generosity of heart, non-hatred, kindness, a kind heart, non-delusion, clarity or wisdom. Every moment. So that means that every moment of mindfulness counts. And what is it? It's a balanced recognition of what's happening without grasping at the pleasant. being concerned that, oh, what if this changes? It will. Without pushing away the unpleasant, without getting lost in fear, oh, this will stay here forever. It won't. And without identifying with your experience, without taking ownership of your experience as being my sadness, my fear, my shoulder or knee. It is just life happening through you in this natural lawful way. So it's simply just being here for any moment of experience. And as the Buddha talked about in that discourse, there's many, many ways to be mindful. There's mindfulness of the body, whether you are sitting, standing, walking, lying down, or any bodily functions. There is mindfulness of the mind and all the contents, thoughts, emotions, feelings, everything that comes through. There's mindfulness of Noticing the flavor of experience, is this a pleasant moment, an unpleasant moment, a neutral moment? Just seeing that is a profound doorway to awakening. And there's also mindfulness, understanding of how the mind gets caught, how it can be freed and awakened, and understanding some principles of awakening, mindfulness of, of the dharmas. Hmm. But it's important to understand for our purposes that any experience you're having is just as worthy a moment to be mindful as any other experience. As my uh, good friend Carol Wilson, who often uh, for many years has has taught this, uh, this month long, would say, awareness doesn't care. Just let that really be etched in your understanding. Awareness doesn't care what's happening. Whether it's incredible bliss or rapture or uh, love or fear or confusion or sleepiness or worry. Or wanting. Or joy. Awareness doesn't care. Anything can be held. In the space of. Loving awareness. And so. What we're learning here. Is to be with. Any experience. And at different times. That will mean employing different lenses to take in experience. Sometimes it might mean zooming in and seeing the subtleties of experience, of the breath or some sensations and things coming and going in a very refined way. Sometimes it will mean having a very wide-angle panoramic lens to open to what's here. If there's confusion, the ultimate spaciousness, oh, confused Buddha, that's what's happening, I say to myself. It's just confusion. And in that moment, you're clear. You might be clearly confused, but you're clear about it. Oh, confusion is happening, that's it. And so it's not to think that it looks any one way, it's just to see, oh, how can I meet this moment? Whether it's the subtlety of experience or the, uh, the uh, panoramic view. And one aspect that mindfulness really is, um, is a powerful tool is when we get lost in our thoughts and start believing them. Because in the moment that you're mindful, you wake up from the story you're telling yourself. in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a story that I love about to illustrate just how this, this mindfulness is so freeing. And it's a story of my my dear friend uh, Sylvia Borstein, beloved teacher here at Spirit Rock. She was uh, she was sharing at a, a class that I, I teach about mindfulness. And this is her story. She was uh, staying in New York, uh, New York City, uh, with a friend, and uh, she'd arranged to um, to meet someone to uh, to go to the theater, a theater performance. And she decided to take a bus to get there. And she says, uh, as the bus crept along through the heavy traffic, she started worrying, saying, "I'm going to be late. I'll miss the curtain." My friend will worry about what happened to me. I shouldn't have taken the bus. The subway would have been so much faster. Figuring she could walk faster than the bus was going, Sylvia got off. And of course as I'm walking, she says, the bus passes me by. And now I'm thinking I should have taken a cab. Now Sylvia's been meditating for many years, but by her own admission she'd been fretting for many years longer than she'd been meditating. And so it was an easy response for her to fall into. So she continues her story, running down Broadway in high heels with a cold wind ripping, whipping around her. And then all of a sudden she has a thought, oh, what am I doing? Oh, I'm grumbling. That's what's happening. That's a moment of mindfulness. Up until then, I was caught up in a habit-driven narrative and editorial comment about what was happening. But the moment at which the mind says, Oh, Sylvia, dear, you're grumbling now. The lens switches, and suddenly the truth of that moment is, I'm a 71-year-old woman running down Broadway in the middle of winter in high heels. That is far out. That is an extremely fortunate thing to be able to do. It changed everything. I felt proud, and I actually hoped a lot of people saw me. (laughs) Now, you don't have to go into the pride part, but just to see, oh, in one moment you can change the story of what your mind is creating. In one moment, mindfulness is so freeing. (laughs) Did she make it on time? I hope so. (laughs) In any event, she's doing fine now. (laughs) So, moments of mindfulness, every moment of mindfulness counts. And the key is to string those moments of mindfulness close enough together so that there's a momentum that builds. And this is where we go into the fourth of these faculties, concentration. And I just want to say that this little game of stringing those moments of mindfulness together um, can, be a, uh, can be an incentive. Joseph used to, I don't know if he says it these days, but many years ago he used to have this uh, little acronym, NPMs, Noticings Per Minute. Okay, Just to see how many NPMs you could have, okay? No report card, no failing, you're just kind of playing a little game with yourself. Oh, let's see. And so you make every moment count, whether you're sitting here in the hall or in your room brushing your teeth or whatever you're doing. This is how concentration or samadhi gets developed. Samadhi... Or concentration is a kind of unification of mind. And this is one of the benefits of going on retreat. Where it's special circumstances with minimal distractions. Even though while you're here there's still plenty of distractions. But it's a whole lot less than what you left from home. And in that continual practicing moments of mindfulness there's a steadiness that gets developed and it can look different ways at different times sometimes this steadiness, this concentration can be brought to a single point one pointed concentration on something like the breath or whatever your home base is these first few days and there's a value to that because in that sharpening the awareness and the mindfulness on one object, it's like you're sharpening the tool of mindfulness that can then be applied to any experience. So there's that single-pointedness, ekagata, one-pointed concentration that's really powerful. And then there's another kind of concentration which is a moment-to-moment concentration, rather than on one particular object, you are noticing this moment, and then this moment, and then this moment, and this moment. That is called kanaka samadhi, moment-to-moment mindfulness. And so, don't worry about getting into deep absorption states, they're fun, they're not the end-all be-all of practice. They're a means to an end. A powerful tool, but not the end. And you can develop just as profound concentration in noticing one moment after another after another. But it, it, it is supportive these first few days, if you're of the temperament, to collect the awareness so that then you can apply that to uh, changing experience Now concentration, as paradoxical as it might seem, is supported by relaxation. If you try hard to be concentrated, you will just get tighter and tighter. Believe me, I know what that's like. At some point, although you might have really good focus, it's not so sustainable. And not only that, when you are, when you've tasted a bit of concentration, there can be a tendency to want to get back there and try really hard to get back there. And again, that can work against you. My very first retreat, this is in, uh, Great Barrington, Massachusetts, in 1974, and I, um, I just was, I fallen in love with the practice, but I was very, very green. And I, on this, on this retreat, I magically fell into this one meditation where it was the first time that it, I didn't even want the bell to ring. This is so cool. I was breathing in. The universe was breathing out. I was breathing out. The universe was breathing in. Just, wow, so cool. And then, the next time I sat, can't wait, nowhere to be found. And in fact, for the next two days, I tried as hard as I could to get back to that blissful state that somehow I fell into. And I went to Joseph in an interview, and I said, I had it, then I lost it. How do I get it back? And he told me a story. I was so glad that he, this is in my first retreat that I heard this story, which he's written about in, in his books. And he said, well, let me tell you a story. I know what it's like to grasp after experience. I, at one point in my my practice, when I was sitting, he sat in basically in Bodh Gaya for about seven years. Was uh, he was doing intensive practice. One time in my practice, I had. It was so sweet. My my body was filled with light, and my mind was so clear. And then I went back to the States, knowing I was going to go back to practice in another, another month or two. And I kind of, you know, just uh, didn't keep a mon- momentum of practice, but I couldn't wait to get back. And when I got back, I remembered very well how it was going to be. And I sat down and he said, my mind was like mud and my body was like twisted steel. And then he said, I spent nearly two years trying to recapture that experience. And then he said, I was the dummy. These were his words, his exact words. I was the dummy. I did it for you. You don't have to be the dummy. Thank you very much, Joseph. Don't worry about maintaining or holding on to any particular state. When they're here, they're very inspirational and you're moving in a certain direction, but it's, it's not anything that's up to you to maintain. You just show up. So here are some supports for concentration. Keeping it really simple, really simple. One thing at a time. We're so good at multitasking. Here's the real challenge. You need tasking. Do one thing at a time and just be there for it. It's so much easier to be there for it when it's just one thing at a time. When you realize your mind has wandered, just make the resolve to come on back. In whatever way helps you meet this moment. And then these NPMs, the real key to concentration is continuity. One moment after another, after another, just noticing whatever it is that's happening. That's how concentration gets developed. And the image that I've always found helpful is that of putting some uh, water on the stove in in a kettle If you keep taking it off every 30 seconds, it's not going to cook. But if you leave it on, even if sometimes the flame is lower, sometimes it's higher, after a while it's going to cook. It's like that. The thing is, as you are, as you're putting in the effort to be mindful and the moments of mindfulness get stronger, then when they're stronger and the concentration starts to develop a bit, it's more interesting. And when it's more interesting, you want to pay more attention. And because you are wanting to pay more attention, the mindfulness gets stronger and it builds on itself. Not linearly, but in that general direction. If you keep taking the kettle off the stove, okay, I put in my time for this hour. Now I'm just going to take a break for a while. Oh, I'll get back to it. Oh, alright, now I'll put in my time again. Your mindfulness won't be that strong, which means that it's not going to be as interesting. Things aren't as interesting when their mindfulness is strong. Your fantasies become more interesting than what's happening now. And so you're not as motivated to be here because it's, it's not compelling. And so Every moment you're choosing to either go in the direction of greater interest and connection or less. And that's the other key to concentration is interest. Just being, having that natural wonder that you came into this world with. Curiosity. Wow, what's going on right now? I often have the image of of being an alien just dropped into this body when I'm on retreat oh what's breathing like for these guys yeah oh what's having a meltdown like for this this human being oh yeah. and when I'm if I'm just interested then every moment counts So keeping it simple, resolving to come back, continuity, interest, and patience. Real patience that is supported by that relaxed, kind effort. Mm. With that concentrated mindfulness, you develop a penetrative awareness that allows you to see things more clearly than is usually available to us. And this leads to the last faculty, that of wisdom. There's a number of different ways that wisdom is uh, manifesting on retreat. Sometimes we have insights into our personal history. And you might have thoughts about what happened years ago that, that were under the radar. Sometimes really inspiring, sometimes challenging. But all the time learning more and more about what it means to be in this human experience. How many people have been finding that their practice, you bring up memories from the past? And so you're learning about this story called you. Excuse me. <coughs> and hopefully being held in a compassionate kind awareness, there's a processing and a healing that can happen. And it helps to have some support and some guidance as you're doing that just in case you get um, more information than you're ready to have. It's good to have somebody to check in with or to help you get clear within yourself about your personal story. But beyond that, there's a deeper deeper level of wisdom that the Buddha was pointing to. And that is understanding basic characteristics of reality. Probably... You're familiar, and uh, Kamala mentioned it, uh, I think, last night, the three characteristics of existence. Anicca, impermanence, dukkha, the unsatisfactory nature of experience, because everything is changing, and anatta, the impersonality, the selfless nature of experience. This is one reason, by the way, why samadhi is so... Um, so supportive because we usually don't tune into the impermanent nature of experience. Things just seem solid or they're just kind of flowing so fast. But when you start to notice, for instance, you see the breath and instead of it being in-breath, it can be many, 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 many moments of experience that comprise one breath, or you're sitting there and you're noticing, oh, hearing, breathing, sensation, thinking, in, out, one moment after another. You start to see the solidity of experience starts to be seen through. And so this is where The wisdom is a liberating wisdom where it's not something that you read in a book but it's something that you know for yourself to be true. Everything is changing. Whatever experience you have is going to change. Beautiful or ugly or scary or inspiring, it's all changing. Holding on to experience is futile because it's changing. Dukkha, attachment to that which is changing. And you yourself are this changing experience, a, a short uh, little practice exercise that I like to do that's been very helpful for me. Just to see that that we can hold ourselves in a different way than this fixed unchanging entity. Just. Um, Try this. Some of you are familiar with this perhaps. Just close your eyes for a moment. And we usually think of ourselves as some body, a noun. So Just think of this body called you with your name. People know who you are. And now for a moment shift into seeing yourself as a verb. This body, just notice the circulatory system doing its thing, the nervous system firing, making responses to the world, the digestive system working each time you eat, a whole army of defenses against invaders not to mention the billions and billions of organisms that are inside of you keeping you alive you're a verb and there's nowhere in that process that you can point to and say that's me because you are a continually shifting, changing experience, called life. Okay, you can open your eyes if you'd like. This is what the Buddha was pointing to, rather than life happening to me, life is happening through me, or expressing itself as me. And they're both true, it's not to deny your identity, But that's not the only reality. And to see the selfless nature of experience is so freeing. I don't have to blame myself for my body or take credit for it either. Or my thoughts. I'm not the owner of my thoughts. If you had ownership or control over your thoughts, you'd only have beautiful ones probably. But a few others probably slip through. Thoughts come and go. Emotions come and go. Awareness isn't yours either. You don't say, I'm going to turn my awareness on right now. It just happens. Right? So all experience, no need to take ownership for any of it. Every moment that we're mindful, we are seeing, or have the possibility of seeing this impermanence, Non graspability and the selfless nature of experience. So these are the five faculties faith or trust leading to effort, to be mindful, building into concentration, and uh, emerging as wisdom, which then leads to increased faith and it just keeps on going round and round every moment of mindfulness counts. That's what we're doing here. So we can just sit for a few moments. Just relax, rest in this moment as it is. Thank you for your kind attention. So we have a half an hour for our walking, and once again we'll come back for that last sitting, and we'll do some chanting. And I would encourage you, if you have the energy, don't worry about not having a clear sitting, the last one. Hope you got that by now just come and join us if, uh, if you would, and uh, we'll do some chanting. And if you go outside for a walk, or just take in the air, remember every moment counts. So it's not just here and going out there on your way to get your shoes, breathing in the air, going to the restroom, whatever you do. Oh this moment is just as good as the as the next okay thank you thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org/ donate.